Go ahead, have a seat. Usher is going to come forward. Let's give out of how God has given us. And if you're here for the first, second, or third time, uh, you should have been handed a connection card as you walked in. Uh, you don't have to get that thing filled out in the half second until the basket passes you by. Uh, but as you head out today, there will be some really nice people on your right-hand side. They've got a gift for you. You matter to us, and you made this place matter to you today. So we want to say thank you so much in a way that's filled with sugar uh, that you can take home with you. Uh, so my name's Ken. I get to be the campus pastor here. Uh, next week, again, is time change. So if you want to show up awkwardly early for service, uh, do nothing. Don't check your phone. Uh, don't watch TV or anything like that. But show up awkwardly early for any service. Uh, the rest of us will change our clocks, uh, and that'll be great. And we'll all be here at the normal time for next week, five minutes after service starts, just so that we're all clear on that one, because that's when everybody shows up. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Uh, this is what we're going to look at for this week, and a few of the weeks following are some parables that Jesus told. These are stories that Jesus tell, uh, tells that are really short but have a really big meaning. Uh, so what he's talking about today actually never happened. It's a story that Jesus made up. He wanted something to communicate, something that he just couldn't say like go do this. He wanted to give people a picture of what the this actually looks like so he told a story. Uh, and this story, the way that it's been interpreted and applied and stretched and used, used to push people into action has seriously changed the way that Christians exist in the world. Uh, we're talking today uh, about the Good Samaritan. Uh, there's a book that was written a few years ago about the five people that you will meet in heaven. And since the Good Samaritan takes place uh, on the road to a city called Jericho, today we're looking at the six people you meet in Jericho. So it's not five people in heaven. Uh, it's a shorter story than the whole like 300 page book. Uh, today we're looking at the six people that you meet in Jericho. And the goal is, is that we're going to move from one of the people uh, into being more like Jesus. And that's great because it, it identifies in us our own tendency, our own propensity to show up to this place each week, not having it all together. So if you're here and you're, and you're not yet a Jesus follower and you're like, my life is a mess. I don't know how I'm going to fit in with these people. You're going to fit in perfectly. Because if you, as you look around, everyone that you look at uh, still has stuff in life that, that hasn't been fully given over to Jesus. We still struggle. You still struggle. We are all in this together. Uh, it's going to be great. So the six people that we meet in Jericho, it starts off uh, like this. Luke 10, 25. One day an expert of religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Like he wants to know, what, what do you do to get good with God? That's a good question to ask because if you go your whole life doing the wrong thing, that's going to be really, really bad. And Jesus replies, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So on paper, this looks like the right thing, but we're going to learn about this guy. Is this isn't someone who's just trying to learn, someone who's trying to, to get ahead in class, somebody who's trying to do everything correctly. This is actually the lawyer who's trying to do the minimum. He's trying to do the absolute minimum. Uh, Jesus asks him, what does the law of Moses say? He's referring to the Old Testament. That's the first two-thirds of our Bible. So this guy grew up studying these things, grew up learning about these things, grew up memorizing these things. And so Jesus says, what does the law of Moses say about inheriting eternal life? What does the law of Moses say about getting good with God? You know, it's a question for all of us. And the guy says, it's easy. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So he's saying, like, I've got this, I'm good. And then he asks a question, and this exposes his heart. It's one of those things, it's that, that, that extra moment, that second question, that extra mile that really shows what's going on on the inside of him and brings a lot of his humanness, a lot of his nastiness to the surface. Because his problem isn't with doing more for God. His problem is people. He's got no problem between him and God. But when he has to take that relationship out of just being solely vertical between him and God and actually love people that look like him and live like him and are around him, he's like, no, not good with that. And so he asks Jesus, it says, the man wanted to justify his actions, which means he wanted to make sure that what he was already doing was good enough. Make sure that he didn't have to change. Make sure that he didn't have to do anything different than where he was. God was going to leave him in his bubble. He asks Jesus, the question that has continued to shape the world and, and push Christians in doing insane things to show people God's love. He asks him, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Like when it comes to loving God, he's like, anything you want, God, I am in. I am in forever. And then Jesus says, what about people? What about people? And immediately he's trying to like find the brake pedal. It's like when you're driving with your kids. I remember this uh, from when my parents were trying to teach me how to drive. Is you're coming at an intersection. You're not slowing down. You're coming at a parked car, not slowing down. Parents start to reach for the brake pedal. And you hear them pounding the floorboard. Uh, That will be me in about three years as we teach Eden how to drive. Uh, but, but for the rest of us, it's just like a memory and stuff. He starts going for the brake pedal. He's like, let's slow this thing down. Because he's not, he's like reading, loving people is where he begins to hit the brake pedal. And Jesus is what we're going to look at. The first guy that we meet on the road to Jericho and how this, this interaction goes into a story. Jesus is saying that relationships is how you display my love for people. The way that we love other people with skin on is how we show our love for God. And I love it here that that this is a story in the Bible because it reminds all of us, me in particular and all of us, that reading the Bible is crucial to understanding who God is because it pushes us out of and away from what's normal for us. It's impossible for us to live our lives shaped by what we read and then say, okay, I'm only going to do the minimum. What it does for us, it rewires the way that we look at people. It rewires the way that we go into difficult situations. It rewires the way that we relate to God and relate to people. And so this guy who knows the Bible is pushing up against that in every way possible because he's trying to do the bare minimum. The Bible wires us to care about people. And this guy, that's where he's feeling his friction. That's why he wants to make sure that what I'm doing is good enough. So the first person that we meet in the story is the lawyer who's trying to do the minimum. The second person that we meet in the story is someone at the totally different end of the wellness and well-being spectrum. All right? First guy's just sitting there asking Jesus questions. The second guy, it's much worse. Verse 30, Jesus replied to him with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and he left him half dead beside the road. Second person that we're going to meet in the road to Jericho is the half-dead traveler that life happens to. 
Like the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, it's something where there's a huge elevation change. Jerusalem is up, tie, up top, up high. Jericho is down low. And so you've got to go downhill. There's lots of caves. There's lots of rocks that bad people can hide behind and do bad things to people. Uh, and getting attacked on this road was normal. It was something that was expected. Like nobody heard Jesus say this and like, whoa, that would happen on the road to Jericho? Like everybody understood that. But when it's you that's being attacked, like that, that's where it stops being normal. That's where it stops being just a statistic. So the second person we meet here is the half-dead traveler that life happens to. I think it's great to look at instances where Jesus interacts with people where life is just, the bottom of life is just dropped out for him. And what Jesus does, and I think this is totally applicable for anyone who feels like they've dragged themselves in here today, where you spent your last week getting the goodness kicked out of you, and you come here today just, just basically because you made it here on fumes, and you're just going to kind of plop until we're done in 25 minutes. The good news for this is Jesus now makes this person the point of the story. Jesus makes this person the point of the story because they matter to him, because he sees them and his heart moves in compassion toward them. Because it's not just somebody who's okay being out there and you know something happened, but I'm sure everything will work out. You know, eventually they're going to die and go to heaven and everything's good. Jesus begins to intersect in their life today, showing that when we feel like we just got kicked and barely made it in here today, that there's a God who sees us, there's a God who knows us, there's a God who wants to work in our lives. And so what Jesus does is he begins to tell how help begins to come here. How the right person comes in here. And just as we read stories about this, this guy getting beaten up and left for dead by bad people, Jesus eventually brings the right thing in, and we can trust that that's going to happen for us as well. That as we go through dark times, we know that there is a God who will walk through that darkness with us and bring us out on the other side. In the meantime, there are bandits. In all that goodness, there's still bad people who make this happen. And we live in a world, and sometimes we are those people themselves, but sometimes we're the bad people. Sometimes we're the ones who do mean things to people because, yeah, you have a pulse. Because all of us are in this together. None of us are perfect. Sometimes we're going to be bad people. And so that's the third person that we meet on the road to Jericho. The bandits that leave people hurt and vulnerable. What does it say they do to the guy? They attack him, they strip him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. He's attacked, he's exposed, he's paralyzed, he's hurt, he's abandoned. And behind all of that is a group of people who knew exactly what they were doing. I was reading about this uh, for, for this week, getting ready for today, and one of the things that the author of the commentary pointed out was it was purposeful. This is weird. I love how people think so much sometimes when they get into something so close. It was purposeful that they took all of his clothes when they beat him up. The reason was, according to this commentator, uh, was that when the guy woke up and he realizes he's naked, he's not going to go into the town to chase the people that just attacked him. He's going to hide in the desert until somebody comes with clothes. So by stealing his clothes, the guys are saying there's no way that this crazy naked guy who's probably bleeding all over the place can ever come and find us. Like they have completely used this guy and stolen everything from him. And they've even made sure that there's no way that they can ever get caught. Like that's messed up. That's messed up. I think we see this and we have to identify within ourselves that we live in a world full of selfish, single-serving relationships. That we, 
if we're honest, we have been part of this, where there are people that we have in our lives because of what they can do to uh, what they can give to us, what they can do for us, and we've also been the victim of that. Part of the way that we kick against that as a church, because everything that we want to do is to, to push us into living the lives that God has for us and the bad stuff that's in culture, because there's also good stuff, but to take all the bad stuff and spin it on its head and, and live as a church, as a redemptive community that's doing stuff the right way as the world has kind of turned it wrong, is to be a church that serves. Is that this isn't a place just for people who have been here and, and who know all the answers and know everybody by name just to come here and be lazy and just have everybody serve them. But instead, we're going to turn around and we're going to serve everyone the way that we can. That's why as you head out today, once you get to the circle room with all the stuff painted on the ceiling and stuff, uh, on your left there are going to be six areas where we can serve as a church. Everything from helping to tear down at the end of the day to uh, and being a lead in kids' ministry and growing up the next generation to love and serve and follow Jesus, to helping with hospitality so that when you walk in on a cold morning like this, you've got a really good cup of coffee that's hot and is waiting for you and tastes great. And then as you walk out and it's warm again, you can grab a thing of ice water on the way out. Like all these things to show love and, and to show God's heart for our Sunnyside community. None of those things are going to happen on their own. They're going to happen as people like you and me say, I'm not, not just going to sit here and be served. Instead, I'm going to look for opportunities to serve. Opportunities to not just be the bandit who comes into church, uses church, and uses everybody else to make myself feel better. And then right when they turn around, I'm just going to kind of like zoom out the side door. And if that's you and you're like, I'm only here to get stuff for me, today is your get out of jail free card day. Because you can sign up for something, somebody will contact you during the week, boom, next week shows up and you're all serving, like doing stuff, and people are like, man, I, I didn't think they were a good person, but now they're teaching kids church. That's amazing. That'll be our secret, okay? That one won't go on the podcast, uh, but that's your chance to say, I'm not just going to be somebody who absorbs and somebody who, who consumes. Instead, I'm going to help, I'm going to be someone who serves. I'm going to be someone who makes stuff better from the inside. And what serving also does is it helps us appreciate what we have. Not because it's so horrible and like if, if you're on setup crew, like at being here at 530, everything else in your life will be better. Setup crew is actually a lot of fun. Like it's a really good group of people. Uh, I enjoy it, which is why we don't need a whole lot of help on setup crew. We need like the 1.30 p.m. help. Um, but it works because it, it creates gratitude in us. As we put in the sweat equity in something, we begin to see the things that we like more than the things that we can just be so easily critical about anything. Like this is a completely imperfect church because it's run by imperfect people, which is us, me included. Uh, and serving turns our hearts to be grateful for what we have. So those are the bandits, horrible people. Don't be a bandit, sign up to serve. Fourth group of people, we got the lawyer who's trying to do the minimum. You got the person that life happens to, amen, that's us. We're here today. Third group are the bandits who leave people hurt and vulnerable. Fourth group is the priest who is completely self-absorbed. All right, totally self-absorbed. Check this out. You got the guy who's half dead on the side of the road and the priest. This is like the answer. This is the straight A kid who should know exactly what to do. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and he passed him by. So I read this in today, and the guy's probably like, he's doing his uh, U-version shape reading on the phone as he walks, and he sees something up ahead of him, and he just changes lanes and, and walks right on by. I don't think, and you can totally prove me wrong, this is just speculation, I don't think he did it with a soft heart. I think that he didn't even realize there was something going on. I don't think he did it to be mean. I think he didn't realize it because he's so completely self-absorbed. As a priest, 
He was trained. He was brought up. It was a huge deal for him. He spent a lot of his hours of his life being the go-between between holy God and unholy people. He spends his life with people. So he sees somebody in need, and it's just not even on his radar because he's so self-absorbed in who he is. And it's really easy for me and really like I get the green light to be critical on that because I know that there's somebody in this room who has that same tendency to do life and to run life only through the way that they see things. Uh, And yeah, that's who it is. So uh, it's really easy for me to identify in this. Man, this person just has no like perception that there are needs around him. I think the the difference between the priest and the bandits was the priest had no clue that he was a horrible person. The priest had no clue that he was abusing people as he walked through life. And Jesus absolutely perfected this. He says that he's our prophet, he's our priest, he's our king. And everything about Jesus was lived with his eyes toward other people. His eyes towards other needs that need to be met. Even to the point where at the very end of his life, Jesus is hanging on a cross, a cross that he was nailed to for me and for you because we did things that punished, we, we did things that pushed us away from God. We created punishment that we deserve through our own sins. And what Jesus did was Jesus paid the penalty for the things that we created, the punishment that we accumulated in life. Jesus is hanging there on the cross for us. And one of the prisoners next to him is also being executed it says, Jesus, will you forgive me? Like, this is the moment where he could say, too late, this is my me time, I'm about to die. And he says, no, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Today you will find forgiveness of your sin. Today what you need from me, you're going to receive. Literally, blood is pouring out of him. He is on his way to death, a painful, suffering, slow death. And he's still got his eyes on other people. Because as we are priests who are completely self-absorbed, we worship a guy who is absorbed with us. We worship a God who sees us in our needs. And so for me, if you're like this, you're the self-absorbed priest. That could be your picture up there. But that'd be really mean to say, hey, this person's jacked up. Instead, I can say about myself, what do we do? Like, how do we get away from that? I think as we ask God for a miracle. We say, God, I need you to change the way that I think. I'm giving you everything, even the nasty stuff. God, I need you to change the way that I think. And he's going to be faithful to do that. So you've got the lawyer who tries to do the minimum. You've got the half-dead traveler that life happened to. You've got the bandits who leave people hurt and, and vulnerable. You've got the self-absorbed priest. Hello. And you've also got, fifthly, the good-hearted person who's totally unable to help. Totally unable to help. This is the person who doesn't know what to do. Verse 32. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. You know, we've got a people, a group of people here at Mountain View Sunnyside just like this. We look at you and we've got no expectation for you to ever do anything. Instead, you can come in in whatever mood you're in and we will take care of you. We'll hold you and let you deal with your emotional stuff. We'll deal with your crap for you because you can't. And we'll even give you little toys to play with uh, so that you're entertained during church. That group of people is called babies all right those are babies that's how we treat babies and your house is just like it because at some point people in your house and you were once this go from the people who cause the mess to the people who clean the mess right and the levi the temple assistant here is not a trauma surgeon 
So he walks up to the guy. He realizes that he is messed up beyond what he can temple assist his way to. And I'm speculating he runs off to find somebody else who can help. Because he realizes, man, this guy is messed up. He needs more than a band-aid. And I got nothing. There's nothing I can do. And so he runs off to find someone who can help. For us to grow in our relationship with Jesus means that we move from being the person who can never do anything to help anybody to being something, somebody who can actually help people. Pastor Greg mentioned it in news, so two weeks from now, so the week after the time change, when your body has already gone back to not getting enough sleep, like next Sunday is going to be amazing because you're going to get that extra hour, uh, but after that, like it'll, it'll wear off by Friday or Saturday, uh, and that's when we've got prayer training. This, this is how we learn how to care for people spiritually. Uh, there are a million different ways you can care for people. Prayer training teaches us how to pray and how to care for people spiritually. So you, the, the temple assistant walks up and he sees somebody going through something emotional or need, has a need for physical healing or so there's relational stuff going on. And the way that he can now help people spiritually because he's been to prayer training like all of us are going to go to is to pray for people. We've got people up here at the middle of each service, not just because we want to give them the awkward pleasure of singing looking this way while all of you are singing and looking this way, uh, but it's because they love and care for people. Because they're going to bring people like me and bring their needs to the Lord and say, God, can you work in this situation? Can you do a miracle in this situation? Prayer training teaches us how to pray. It teaches us how to care for people spiritually more than saying, ooh, that's really big. I better go get Pastor Tim or Pastor Greg or somebody else who can help because I can't do anything uh, and run off. It teaches us how to care for people spiritually. And for us to be people who want to let the light of Jesus shine through us means that we need to learn how to care for people spiritually. And for this to be a place where people are cared for spiritually. So that's the fifth person. We've got the lawyer who does the minimum. We've got the half-dead traveler. We've got the bandits who are horrible. We've got the priest who's totally self-absorbed, doesn't realize he's horrible. You've got the good-natured person uh, who's totally unable to help. And then the last person is the Samaritan. This is the hero. This is the Jesus figure who brings salvation. And the way that Jesus tells the story completely shocks everyone because Samaritans were not good people in that day. It's something that goes back almost 600 years where there's this animosity between Jews, which is what Jesus was, and all of his hearers, and Samaritans, which when Jesus said the Samaritan is going to be the hero, everybody's like, no way, that would never happen. The idea of a good Samaritan is an oxymoron in Jesus' culture, the way that he said it. But what he does is he's the one who actually brings healing. He's the actual one who brings help here. And so in verse 33, it says this, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. This is a picture of what Jesus does for us, that while we are broken, while we don't have anything good to offer, like the man on the side of the road, what Jesus does is he stops. He sees us. He walks towards us with a heart of compassion because before we had ever done anything good or bad in our life, before we quote-unquote needed God because we always have, God loved us. It says that he's moved with compassion, and that's true about God today. That's true about how he looks at you today, is he sees you and he loves you. And within all of us, there's something that's unlovely. That's called sin. That's how we 
treat other people worse than we should and treat God worse than we should. What Jesus did was he came to, to bandage our sin, to forgive our sin, to take our sin away from us. That can't happen in the story where the guy just takes away the brokenness and takes away the wounds of the wounded traveler. But what Jesus does for us is so much bigger than just physical healing. It is spiritual healing. And for us to become a Jesus follower, for us to begin a relationship with Jesus and saying, all right, God, I'm ready for you to do that in me. I'm ready to experience forgiveness. And if you've never done that, you can do that in about five minutes. And so this Samaritan comes as the Jesus figure. He's the representation of Jesus in the story. He's not the lawyer who's trying to do the minimum. It's, he's moving with heart-fueled compassion. You know how that is in life where you see a need and there's, like, there's no more point where too much is too much. Like you're in. You're in to fix it. You're in to make a difference. He's not the traveler, but for us who are the traveler today, Jesus is going to be that. Jesus is going to suffer undeservedly. He's going to pay the penalty for our sins, not his own. He's going to suffer death on our behalf, not his own. He's going to be beaten for us. He's going to be stripped and left naked to hang on a cross in our place. He's going to be abandoned just like the traveler is abandoned. And he does that so that we can identify with him. Because we can, as we go through life, as we go through brokenness, as we go through difficulty, Jesus says, I was there too. Let me bandage those wounds. Let me cover you where you feel exposed. Let me pick you up and let me draw near to you where you feel abandoned and left. He's not the bandits who create the wounds. He's the Savior who soothes the wounds. He's not the bandits who, who leave him out alone and left for dead. He's the one who brings us into family and provides what's been stolen. He's not the priest who, who walks by totally self-absorbed. Instead, he's the Savior who personally suffers with the man. Right, what's to say is, is he stops, he gets off of his donkey, and he takes the half-dead traveler and puts him on his donkey and says, all right, go. Instead of riding now to the town, he's walking, pulling the donkey, making sure that the guy is safe on there. And on top of that, he, he gives financially to make sure that the guy's okay. He gets to the hotel, he uh, pays the guy two silver coins and says, hey, take care of him. And if his bill runs any higher than this, I'll pay it next time I come through. For us as a church, this is something that we're big about. Two weeks ago was Live the Mission Sunday. We took an offering here. If you haven't yet given, it's not too late because we always have more projects uh, that we want to fund so that more people read, uh, meet Jesus. But two weeks ago, we took an offering. Uh, and what was given on that day, it was 253 people, which is a really big deal for us. That's a lot of people. Uh, gave $227,761.85. 85 cents. Who would give 85 cents? Kids would give 85 cents. And that's cool because it's kids who are getting involved in funding the Great Commission. And where did that money go? That went to Colombia, to Syria, to Indonesia, to Kyrgyzstan, to Tajikistan, Germany, Switzerland, Turkey, Myanmar, Lithuania, Colorado, Utah, Minnesota, and here in Fresno went to uh, fund some stuff for the Pregnancy Care Center, to do on-campus outreach events, and to uh, fund our food and clothing ministry for the poor. That's where all of this goes. Because as a church, we don't just want to say, hey, good luck, I hope you meet Jesus. We want to fund things and church plants in new places that are seeing that happen. All those countries, all those states and cities and stuff like that, those are areas where as a church, we're trying to start churches. We're funding ministry. We're supporting leaders uh, like Pastor Isaiah that Greg talked about. So that people who have no clue who Jesus is, people who are still in the broken and beaten up part of living life on the side can meet Jesus. 
We want to see the beaten up traveler in life meet Jesus and have sins forgiven and lives changed. We want to be a church that gives towards that and a church that sees that happen in new, fresh, amazing ways. So Jesus isn't the the priest who just walks by and, and doesn't care at all. He's also not the temple assistant who can't do anything. Jesus sends us out to do it in his name. He sends us out to do it the way that he would do it. And that's how the story ends. So the guy goes from beaten and left for dead to taken care of and, and, and restored and put in a place where he can be healed. And so Jesus asks the man, now which of these three would, have been, would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. He puts it in his court. He says, out of everything that I've done for you, now I want you to do. I want you to go. Where I put back your life together, I soothed your wounds, I showed you mercy, I showed you forgiveness, I showed you a new way to live where we are all taking up our cross to follow Jesus daily, dying to ourselves to live for him. Jesus says, okay, now I want you to go do that. And that's our joy, that's our privilege, that's what it is for us to be Jesus followers. This is not just a vertical relationship between us and God where we're good and we do the bare minimum and try to just get in uh, by coasting through our 20s and 30s, but instead we take that love and we go horizontal with it. We take that and we take it into our houses for the difficult relationships there. We go into our jobs, we go into uh, the people around us that we love who don't yet know Jesus. We do everything we can to introduce as many people as possible to the God who loves us and saves us. And that's Jesus' message here. This is a radical story of extreme sacrifice and mercy and compassion and love. And it's not supposed to stop with me. It's supposed to go with you. It says, go and do the same. And as Jesus followers, we know that as we do that, as we take this message of life-changing mercy and grace and compassion, we know that Jesus is going with us, that we are not going alone, but we are going backed by the God of the universe who came for us and now sends us out to make a difference. Let's stand and pray.